All right, so we're going through the book of Acts uh, as a people, and we're kind of uncovering what the key factors are that allowed the church in the first century to be established and thrive. And um, it's always good to do a review, and we've done so many, we should be able to do it super efficiently. So um, what are the, some of the factors or values that we've seen uh, all the way up to Acts 2.42? That are, that are allowing this magnif- magnificent move of God in the earth. They ministered to God. Boom. Thank you, Allison. They ministered to God. Okay, they had a culture of prayer. And their orientation before anything else was toward God himself. And in that context, everything else began to blossom. What else? Fellowship. They committed to each other. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So that says that they were devoted to fellowship, which is koinonia, which is this really rich word that um, it doesn't just mean like, you know, parties with bad coffee in the fellowship hall after the church meeting, but it means like a joint venture or like, you know, this um, costly participation in life together. And so we're, we're talking about what that means in our day as well. Awesome. Thank you, John Mark. What else? What else was the church devoted to, or what did we see happen as the church expanded? What about on Pentecost? Proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel. Awesome. So on Pentecost, Peter stood up, and he put everything that they were seeing, which was what? People speaking in tongues, earthquakes, flames of fire was all an outpouring of the... Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Awesome. So there's the big one-two punch. The, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word are, are two huge factors that brought that day 3,000 disciples in, and then many more every day were added to their number. So um, we've got prayer, devotion and fellowship, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the preaching of the Word, which also is one of the devotions in Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word of God. Uh, what else? What other devotions have we talked about? Waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord? Okay. Yeah. Do you want to say any more about that? Yeah. It just, when the Lord first poured out the Spirit, the body was waiting specifically in the upper room, and, and there was a, a sense for them in the place of prayer of, of knowing that the Lord was going to show up. There was an anticipation of what that was going to be doing. Right. Cool. So faith-filled anticipation of what God is going to do and obedience to what he said to do. He said, wait in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. And all of this happens in the context of Jesus' great commission, which was go and make disciples of all nations. Or in the Luke verbiage, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. So all this is happening under the Lordship of Christ. These people are are committed to do what he said. Awesome. Um, We have one other devotion, I think, that we didn't have. Generosity. That's what we're talking about today. It's not listed in the devotions. Thunder Stealer. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) What's the devotion we talked about last week? 
Yeah. yeah. The, the Lord's Supper, the breaking of bread in the sacrament. Anthony Gavin Austin. I should have been able to answer that question. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were just deferring out of like... <laughs> no, I was like, no, what? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So that, that sacramental breaking of bread and all the three aspects that Anthony talked about it, uh, last week were so powerful in that. So um, let's read the paragraph just from Acts uh, 2.41 all the way through 47. Whoever gets to it first. 2.41? Mm-hmm. Through 47? Yep. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and in many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending to the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Thank you, Jessa. So we're starting to see this ecosystem come together, right? It's not just one factor that, like, put everything over the top. It's all of these things. They had this whole culture of these different things they were devoted to. And it, it seems like the way it expresses this, it seems like the overflow of that was this generosity, that everyone was in awe of what God was doing among them. And it, it doesn't really seem to imply that, like, they're, they had much trouble in their hearts about it, like, and they disciplined themselves to give to the cause. It seems like with all of the rest of this culture online, with an understanding of their place in the story, it was just natural for them to begin extending themselves and their belongings toward loving and taking care of each other. And a little bit of the context of this is um, Pentecost was a, a Jewish feast. It was a first fruits feast, right? My, my Jewish feast people. <laughs> and so a lot of people would have been in Jerusalem for this gathering who would have traveled from other places. And that's a part of why such a huge group was probably gathered. And these, all these people, these 3,000 people who became disciples of Jesus that day, well, they stuck around for a while. And so there was like this huge need for the disciples to make some provision and do some hospitality so that these strangers could stay and be discipled into the faith that they had just come into, which in and of itself is like a, a really cool teachable moment. Um, and so the phrasing it uses is, um, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as many might have need. So this is um, within the context of the book of Acts, the, the idea of having all things in common, this is the only time that that occurs. And so there's um, not necessarily like a strong instruction from the Bible that that's like the ideal for how we would all live. But it, it is certainly a really cool expression that uh, people saw each other as uh, having been saved in a very short order into a family of Jesus followers who were willing to extend themselves to take care of each other in like some really significant ways. 
Um, it also says that they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as any might have needs. And I've read that the verb tense there is not, uh, it doesn't carry the implication that everybody just drained their bank accounts and lived poor, like, and it all went into one bank account. But it, it means that, like, as needs would surface and arise in the community, someone was always willing to meet the need. It, it's an ongoing verb tense. I mean, it's like if you would say, you know, back in college, I would always go to the pizza joint. It's that, that same verb tense, like they would sell their properties and possessions uh, and rendered in NASB as they began selling. It's, it's they began, but it was an ongoing process, which also has the wonderful and cool implication that they had stuff that they could sell to meet the needs of other people. Like, they, that at least some of the disciples were prosperous and that they were willing to put their prosperity into the service of the kingdom. So really cool. Maybe a, um, something to consider there as we consider, like, our own um, approach to money. Like, do we think that it is holier to not have any? than it is to have a bunch. Well, that, that mentality might not serve us well it, because the Bible is kind of testifying here that to have great resources was, you know, at least for many in this crew, pretty normal and to put them at the disposal of the, the community as needs arose, pretty normal and beautiful too. Um, so today, for the rest of this time, it's going to be great fun. We're going to talk about what happens when we give. And it's going to be um, giving as the Acts 2 church did, which was in response to all that Jesus has done. Uh, it's, not a, it's not a giving to buy something, to earn something, certainly not to, to achieve some kind of righteousness, because we know that righteousness is by faith in Jesus. And so giving is a part of our worship, and it's, it's actually... Um, like this multifaceted, super cool, very effective blessing that we get the privilege as the church of participating in. Everyone had a sense of awe. So um, we'll spend a little bit of time in Second um, Corinthians, like around chapters 8 and 9. We're going to bounce around pretty good. But you might want to take that out, um, bookmark it. If you want to get a, a picture of a lot of the teachings that Paul does about generosity and uh, financing the work of the ministry and that kind of stuff, those chapters, like about three chapters right in there, are really good. And he says this one phrase that I, I think should color the whole conversation, uh, which is this. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. So if, if, we, if we learn to give in a, in a biblical way, it's going to be as you purpose in your heart, not begrudgingly or under compulsion. So my job today is not to like browbeat you into giving more. My job today is, is to show from the scriptures what a blessing it is to give and how effective and cool it is, not just for the people that you give to, but for you as well. And I'm encouraging myself in these same ways. So it's not just a just a me to you thing. Um, and at the end, hopefully, we'll see like what an amazing thing it is to participate in that we'll we'll purpose in our hearts to to really practically 
give in some new ways, however the Holy Spirit might lead that. Sounds like fun, right? I think so, too. So I've got a bunch of scriptures, and basically for the rest of the time, I'm just going to try to draw some connections for you guys about giving. And I think in order to make it more um, digestible for the people who aren't here and are going to be listening to the recording later, I, I might just go all point-by-point point teaching on you and read you a ton of scripture rather than having you guys kind of look them up and mine them for yourself. Even though I like that for, as a discussion thing, I think it's, it'll be harder for other people to keep up with. So, uh, Does it sound okay if we do it that way? Yeah. Excellent. All right, so here's, here's my point number one. Um, when we give, we worship. <clears throat> Giving is a joyful response to the gospel. It's a joyful response to everything that God has done. And, I, and it's, a, it's a full-hearted response to the good news about Jesus and everything that he has proclaimed. So let me read you this scripture. Uh, this one is Second uh, Corinthians 8, 1 through 9. And then I'll just emphasize a couple of parts of it. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make you known, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has now been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. There we have it again. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but also... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through you his... Wow, I'm really not reading good today. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Okay, that's it, like... So dense, right? Like, there's so much in that. And let me just highlight the, the parts that I feel like the Holy Spirit's highlighting for me and for us. Um, one, these brothers in Macedonia had received a grace. It says, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. So giving is, is not, they're not doing it out of the flesh, like we were talking about earlier, to achieve or earn something, some kind of righteousness. But it was actually a gift of God to receive the grace to give. So, so as in the whole book of Acts, the Holy Spirit is initiating, and then God is giving the ability to fulfill through us everything that he requires of us. So that's a grace of God to be able to give. In a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their deep poverty overflowed. Okay, so it's not like all fat and happy times, 
in which these saints had the grace to give, it was actually in a great ordeal of affliction. And so we can see that that grace that is given from God is not just for, for when we've got a bunch extra. And, and usually none of us actually have a bunch extra because whenever our budget increases, our desires also increase. <laughs> it's like a principle. Uh, but God can give us the grace to give, even, even in great affliction and in hard times. And, and I love it that it says their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed. I'm not sure what it means for their deep poverty to overflow and the wealth of their liberality, but I love that it's, it's the abundance of their joy. That, that in affliction, we have joy, and it can overflow in like a tangible financial gift. In this case, it's a gift to the poor. Paul's taking up an offering for the, the saints in Jerusalem who are like really poor and afflicted in this time. And I love that, like as a spiritual family, as you know, the church far and wide, not just in our place, but that we would feel so connected to the other saints who are suffering in another place that we go, well, I feel afflicted right now, but I know how afflicted you are, and my joy is going to overflow in me helping meet your need. Like there's something so gospel about that, where it's 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 not centric on me getting my life, the puzzle of my life solved before I engage in helping someone else. But it, there's actually a joy in going, no, like even in the midst of all of the the chaos or confusion or affliction I'm dealing with, I'm I'm gonna think about someone else and I'm gonna pour over to meet that need. They gave of their own accord. Okay, again, so not under compulsion, but from the heart. This, this is like, this is a really cool thing about New Testament generosity. In the Old Covenant, we were under law. We weren't, because most of us are Gentiles, but if, if we were Old Covenant Jews, we'd be under the law, and it would tell us, like, all of these different ordinances about what we have to give. But we get the, the pleasure of giving as God gives us grace from the heart of our own accord. Because this this creative freedom in giving that's really beautiful. Um, okay, awesome. They first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Okay, this is always how it is. Like, if you give in order to gain favor with someone, then it's not you're not really giving, you're just buying something. <laughs> These guys didn't give themselves first to Paul and, and his companions who were taking up the offering. They first gave themselves to God. And this is how we have to learn to give too. Like this is fundamental. We have to give because we're responding to the grace and love of God in us. And we have to understand our gift, even if I give an offering to John Mark for a need that he has, or if I you know, sow something into the finishing out of the prayer space that is in Jess's garage, my gift isn't to them. My gift is first to God and then in the will of God to them. And so it's a really cool... Um, encouragement here to engage God first and go, well, you know, like we talked about last week, the stewardship, the total surrender. Well, this is all yours anyway, God, but it's going to be my joy to put it in the places that you want it to be. And so I give myself first to God. And then in that, I give myself to someone else according to their name. I think that's just awesome. But just as you abound in everything and faith and utterance and knowledge and all earnestness and love. See that you abound in this gracious work also. It's just among all of the best things about the Christian life to abound also in generosity.
Okay, expounded that one a little bit more than I was planning on, but um, this, this last verse, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. This is like this just killer gospel statement about the fact that like our giving is a response. And, and Jesus is our example in all things, right? Like, Jesus shows us how to live, and Jesus was willing to become poor in order to make us rich. And in that, like, what if we were willing to live in that way of Jesus? Like, what if we were willing to seek the kingdom so tangibly that we were willing to become poor in order to make others rich? And, and indeed, that's the expectation as the church matures. And we'll talk about that a little bit later, kind of what, what some of Paul's expectations of a mature church were in terms of expressing giving and making sacrifices so that other people can hear the gospel and become rich in the same way that, that Jesus made us rich. Um, who's got uh, an eye on 2 Corinthians 9-11? grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for our sake he became poor oh, oh you said uh, 9-11 sorry oh that's okay uh, I liked hearing that again <laughs> that. Uh, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God That was 9-11? Yeah. Okay. I'm not sure why I chose that scripture for this point then. So we'll just move on. <laughs> okay, here's, here's another... Um... That was good though. <laughs> that was good though. Thanks for reading that. <laughs> I don't have to know. Maybe God knows. Uh, at Caesarea... Okay, this is Acts 10. Um, I'll read it, and then I'll, I'll make my point about it. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. And he gives them these instructions about how to bring Peter into his house. And that was the first time Peter preached the gospel to Gentiles, and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this is a phenomenal passage, and the, the, the key in it right now is that what are the two things that that preceded this angelic visit and, and managed to dispatch the angel. It was Cornelius who feared God doing two things. In verse... Well, you guys aren't in Acts. So, um, taking care of the poor and... Prayers. Okay, your prayers and your gifts to the poor has come up as a memorial offering before God. So Cornelius, this guy who was 
like no one knew that Gentiles could be a part of the family of God at this point. But here's a man who prayed, feared God, and he expressed that through giving gifts to the poor. And it was the prayers and the gifts to the poor. The gifts were a kind of prayer or worship that dispatched angels to bring a breakthrough, not just for this man and his family, but for all Gentiles. <laughs> like, this is incredible. And so I, I, wanna, I think the Bible is showing us clearly that giving is a, as an act of worship and a, and a way of honoring God brings breakthrough to our lives. It, it, it dispatches heavenly forces to come because it could have been anyone, right? But it wasn't. It was Cornelius. It was the guy who feared God, the guy who prayed, and the guy who expressed his fear of God in giving gifts to the poor. That's so cool. The other thing, um, and we could find this all throughout the um, Second Corinthians passages, the other thing that happens when we give is it reminds us who our provider is. And so giving, like, I don't, I, I practice generosity in a consistent way. I don't always want to do it because sometimes I see those funds <laughs> and I go, man, I have some needs in some places that I, that I feel like I could use this for. But... I'm going to do this to honor God and to remind myself that my provision is not in me. Yeah. That, that is from God and I'm a steward of it. And sometimes my soul needs that reminder. Uh, one of the Corinthians verses says, it's him who provides seed for <laughs> sowing and bread for eating. And he will enrich the harvest of your righteousness. And this is in the context of giving. So in, in the context of giving, we have to remind ourselves where all the stuff came from in the first place. And it's God who provides not just like, you know, checks in the mail, bread on the table, although that's wonderful, but sometimes also seed for sowing. Sometimes he provides something you can just immediately do something with. Sometimes he provides an opportunity or a resource that you have to steward. You have to put it in the ground. You have to water it. You have to tend it. You have to wait for it to come up. And then you have to harvest it. And then you get to eat it. Is one from God and the other one from man? No, they're both from God. All, our, all of our opportunities are from God and all of our direct provision are from God. And when we give, we're reminded that we're not our own provider, we're not the masters of our own destiny. And so not only do we, do we unlock some things in the spiritual like Cornelius, we also just remind our souls of what's true. That's a good word right there. <laughs> All right, now this one is great, and, and not popular, because some people have misused it, but deeply biblical. When we give, we cultivate prosperity in our own lives, and we're rewarded by God, in most cases. There's one case that, that we'll see in the scripture in which uh, we can give and, and not receive a reward from God. Uh, here's a cool, here's a few great scriptures about it. Second uh, Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good, good deed. What's the purpose of the abundance? 
It's for every good deed. Right? It's not just for building up a kingdom unto ourselves. It's that we would, we would live out this life that we've been called to. Uh, I picked this scripture because I, I thought it, it drew such a clear connection between sowing and reaping. If you sow just a little bit, you reap just a little bit. That's just how it works. But if you sow a lot, you reap a lot. And Paul is, is directly applying this not just to like their better understanding of agriculture, because everybody knew this in this culture. He's applying it to their understanding of how they might give to support this offering he was taking up for the saints in Jerusalem. In other words, he's saying, if you give more, God will give you more. I didn't say it. The Bible didn't. <laughs> And I love the, the thing he couches it in at the end. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you might have abundance for every good deed. I mean, that is, that is such a God-centric thing. Like God is so abundant with us. But sometimes we don't experience that abundance. And part of the reason we might not experience it, I wouldn't say the whole reason, but part is because we're, we're holding to it, we're clinging to it as an idol and God doesn't bless idols, he destroys them. And so if we're, if we're willing to let go of our possessions, our financial resources, then we're able to experience more of the all-sufficiency of God for us. There's an interesting verse in Jeremiah 17, 5. It says that the person who trusts in the arm of flesh, like what I can do to earn, is what that means, is like a bush planted in a salt land. And it says he will not see provision when it comes. So, like, God's still being abundant when we don't trust him, but we're blind to it. Like, we miss it because we, we're trusting in our own ability to earn ourselves. And so our, our godlessness basically makes us miss the thing that God's doing to bless us in the situation. But it says, him who, he who trusts in the Lord, and the Lord is his trust, is like a tree planted by the water. His roots go deep, and even in times of drought, he has no worry. His leaves are always green. Uh, Proverbs has a few about it. Here's a great one. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. The Bible is making this like clear uh, statement about the way things work. If, if you're generous, then you'll prosper. <laughs> if you refresh other people, you'll be refreshed. No more, no more exposition needed on that one. I just repeated it twice. <laughs> That's good teaching for you. <laughs> Another one, honor the Lord with your wealth. And from the first of all your produce, so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This is a proverb. This isn't a um, like law about tithing. This is, proverbs are, are just these sayings that kind of are supposed to teach you how life generally works. And how it generally works is honor the Lord with your wealth. And I like that it says from the first. So there's something about giving, giving God the first and the best, the the offering of something, um, something new. And then it makes the connection. Your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. That's Proverbs 3.9. The other one was 11.25. That sounds good. So isn't it interesting? Our overflow is connected, like the overflow of our barns is, is connected in how we overflow to other people. All right, now, now it's going to get interesting. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, 
they have their reward in full. So there is a reward connected to giving, but based on this scripture, this is, I forgot to write down the, the reference. I think it's in Mark that Jesus says this. I could be wrong. Um, how, do you, how do you nullify the reward of your generosity or your gifts to the poor? Drawing attention to yourself. Yeah. To do it in order to receive glory from men. Jesus also said, how can you believe when you receive your glory from men or when you seek your glory from men? So if, if we give in order to be recognized, well, then, then we actually, like, you got recognized. Hope you enjoyed it. That's your only reward. <laughs> Contrast that to Cornelius, who an angel came to bring a breakthrough of life to his family and his people and said, God noticed. I think that's so awesome. Like, your gifts have been noticed by God. You gave them in secret and in humility. And now you're, you're going to reap the reward for that, which is like, I think it is saying there are like physical or financial rewards for generosity that the gospel promises. And I think it's saying that we should seek them and want them. But obviously, like as always with God, it's so much more than that. Like what Cornelius received was so much more than financial. Because his need was to be in the family of faith. And, and that's what he received. So good. Uh, here's just another reward statement about Jesus and giving. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. So there, there is like these... Uh, what C.S. Lewis called the unblushing promise of reward in the Gospels, that, that it is saying that, that we ought to desire and seek after the enjoyment of good things that, that God will bring to us, both spiritual and physical, when we're aligned to the way of the kingdom. And, and that that's a good thing, and, and we ought not to be ashamed of it. How do you like that? Okay, here's, here's another category. Um, when we give, we knit the household of faith together. We already talked about um, connectedness with the saints in Jerusalem. And let me try to be brief here. I already read this scripture. Uh, where This is back in Second uh, Corinthians 9. We already talked about the seed for the sower and uh, okay, here's the result of that if you look at verse 11. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. Because of the proof given by this ministry, they will glorify God for your obedience to your confession of the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution to them and to all, while they also, by prayer on your behalf, yearn for you because of the surpassing grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What's the indescribable gift that he is talking about in this situation? I suggest the gift is the connectedness that the Corinthians are going to feel with the saints in Jerusalem. Did you see how like interdependent that whole paragraph was? It was it was like okay when you guys here give 
to these poor saints in Jerusalem, through us, your giving is going to produce thanksgiving to God. And then they're going to, it's going to produce in them thanksgiving to God. And then they're going to long for you because they heard about your sincere faith and they heard about your obedience to your confession of the gospel. Like, part of our way of expressing and being obedient to what we confess about Jesus is this generosity toward others. But it doesn't end with us. It produces, like, praise to God and glory for God in another place where our gift is brought. And then it produces this connectedness, like they're going to long for you because of the sincerity of faith. So there's a way in which our giving like knits us together as the church into one family that, that is really beautiful, which goes back to the Timothy verse I was saying earlier that I'll, I'll quote again, that the church, the household of God, is the pillar of the truth. And so when we act like this interdependent, interconnected family, and a part of that is our financial generosity to each other. And then the response of longing for each other because of this sincere faith. And you know, when you've had a deep need and then somebody's generosity met it, you feel bonded to that person. Like, like okay, now we're starting to like be family because family sacrifices for each other. And that happen, that's happening at, like, across the, the whole region of the Mediterranean in, in this context. And when unbelievers see that, it's, it's a pillar of the truth. Like it holds the truth up in a way that goes, well, this isn't just a, another silly idea for your Greek forums. This is like a way of life that people are sacrificing for and there's this joy and longing and that's what, what everybody was built for is to be enfolded into a family. So, beautiful. So that's that broad. Here's, here's another one and um, I want to talk about this in more detail because next week I'm thinking of teaching a little bit about different kinds of giving, like the tithe, is that an old covenant thing? Is that a new covenant thing? What's the difference between that and an offering? Who do you give it to from a biblical standpoint? All that good stuff. So today I'm just going to suffice it for um, this verse uh, to show not just abroad does generosity and giving knit us together as one family, but also at home. Because uh, these are Paul's instructions for giving within a local church household. And he says, the elders who rule well and are to be, excuse me, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. So he's just saying, and this is all we need to say about this for today, that there's also a local economy for a spiritual household in which we're knit together as a family as well. Are you guys having fun still? Yeah. <laughs> All right, here's, um, here's another thing that happens when we give. We get to extend the gospel. We get to extend the reach of the word of God. And we get to, to see the fulfillment of everything that was promised. And the Psalms, for example... God sets the lonely in families. He leads the prisoners forth with singing. There is a way in which our generosity allows God to fulfill what he has promised because we're the body of Christ on the earth, right? Empowered by the Holy Spirit.
to fulfill everything that he promised and everything that the prophets dreamed of or the stuff we get to walk out and we get to be physically invested in. I thank my God every time I remember you, Paul says to the Philippians. In all my prayers for you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Guess what word partnership is in this passage? It has to do with financial. The, the, the word that he uses is koinonia, which is the word that's variously, yeah, it's variously translated fellowship or partnership or joint venture is one of the, the definitions you can get out of it. it. So it means like not just like, hey, I totally support you, man. Like, cool, go for it. It means like, I totally support you, man. Go for it. Like, there's this joint venture. Like, uh, one, one of the words, a little awkward, but is actually intercourse. Like, it's this intimate, like, intertwined, inter- interdependent, like, so invested in each other word and so when when he says that like in philippians the way they translate it partner your partnership in the gospel it's easy to miss it but it's it's a partnership of the heart and it's a partnership where you know all paul's mature churches he expected them to be invested in his ongoing work for the the spreading of the gospel and he's saying you guys are a joy to me and i always pray with joy because i remember like i remember how much we were in this together. I remember how much you sacrificed in order for us to accomplish this mission. Like, there is like this true sense in which like Paul. It's not just that uh, you know these guys shuffled out a bunch of money and he went and did the mission. Like he saw them as essentially going with him and being partners with him because of their investment, both personally and financially. Here's another um, from 2 Corinthians, it's from chapter 11. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. In other words, Paul, when he arrived on the scene in Corinth to minister to these guys, and it took them a long time because this is second letter that we have that he's written to them and and we know there's at least one that he wrote before that so these guys still haven't figured out like how to how to be invested in the work of the gospel together with them uh, but the point is the brothers from Macedonia funded Paul to come and minister in Corinth in other words he had partners in the gospel who had this Koinonia fellowship with that sent him out so that he could minister to these people who uh heard the gospel through Apollos, but were not walking in maturity in very much of it. And, and they allowed Paul to go there without uh, putting any of his or his team's financial needs on the people that he went to so that it wouldn't become a burden. People wouldn't question whether he was just there you know, for, to get money from them or whatever. Uh, but, but the cool thing in that is the brothers in Macedonia went, yeah, we'll take it upon ourselves to make sure that you can go and do that work. That's a, that's a partner in the gospel. Um, this one is really cool in, in Romans. 
15, he says, For this reason I have often been prevented from coming to you, but now, with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way by you there, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. He's bringing the offering to the poor. But he's writing to the Romans. And he has these very clear expectations. I'm going to be done ministering the gospel in this region. And I'm going to be going on to Spain. There's two things I want before I get there. To enjoy your company for a while. So that's that fellowship of the heart. And for you to help me on my way. The expectation that a mature church is going to financially help him to go bring the gospel to a new frontier. So when we give, we get to extend the gospel family through missionary teams or partnerships in furthering the gospel. We talked about this a little bit more, uh, a little bit earlier, but I'm going to end here. Um, when we give we, we create like through the interconnectedness through the, the, the joint venture through the prosperity that we manifest in our lives and through our worship to God we create an environment that's compelling it makes the gospel compelling to the unbeliever and that's that pillar of the truth principle that we find in, in 1 Timothy 5. Um, I don't think it's coincidence that the end of Acts 2 says they enjoyed favor with all of the people. Like, their one-mindedness, their generosity toward each other, meeting all the needs that, that were presented, certainly with many other factors, the preaching of the word, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, it made a community that was so compelling that they had favor with everybody. Because who doesn't want to be a part of a family that's overflowing with generosity for each other? And I have to say, like that, that's a little bit of my story. Like How I was wooed to the gospel was, uh, it's, it's hilarious <laughs> how little it took. Because it wasn't really about the amounts, it was about, it was about the generosity. So... When I was in, in early high school, I was like the king of Street Fighter Two, the video game that they had at the Seven Eleven. This is a really good game. It's a great game. And uh, like me and my buddies, we were we we go and play games all the time, and we would hold debts. Like we, it was like if I loaned you a quarter, you were definitely going to pay me back a quarter at some point. Like our economy was. Very small scale. <laughs> Plus and, a penny. And I can remember, like, like I walked in one time, and, and these other guys, like this other group of people that, like, all love Jesus, like, were hanging out, and they just were liberal with their quarters. Like, they were just like, oh, yeah, here, you don't have one? Cool, yeah, here. And I was like, wait, this is different. Like, it, it awakened my conscience in, like, this, like, crazy way that I was like, yeah, I know it's just quarters, but, like, the quarters aren't just valuable because of what they're worth. They're valuable because they speak about the life that these guys live together. And I was, I was compelled by, by the generosity of their life together. 
and, and the way that they had something among them that I didn't have among my friends. And so when those guys invited me to a, an event where, like, like, somebody stood up and was like, hey, I just want to ask one question. What do you live for? And my, like, my best answer was, I don't know, fun? And, and the guy was like, well, I, I'm just going to tell you that I think, that I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a, a proposition, and that's that there's only one thing worth living for, and it's Jesus. This man named Jesus, and he started presenting the gospel, and it was like, my heart was on fire. I was like, I knew the scriptures because I'd gone to church growing up, but it wasn't until I saw people living this life where they cared about each other more than what they had, and they were generous with their things, that I was drawn into a community where I heard the gospel that created regeneration in my heart. And so it, when, when we participate in generosity together, it creates an environment that woos people to the life of Jesus that's manifest among us. And we might never know how powerful the smallest act of generosity is for someone whose heart is waiting to see someone who has life. To, to see the extended family that they've always longed for, or, or to hear a gospel message that there is someone who had everything, who would make himself poor so that we could be rich.